It is time for the new Dan Vogler 4D Experience Podcast. Are you ready? Buckle in. Let's go for a ride. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, thank God. How the hell are you, man? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good this morning. I slept really great, which is awesome. The beautiful day here in Los Angeles. And uh, I've had my first cup of coffee, and here I am with you. (laughs) Oh, geez, it's so early. I'm sorry. I'll try to be subdued. I'm excited to talk to you. But I'll try to be more relaxed. <laughs> relaxed, okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Um, so you're in LA right now, and yeah. Uh, but you, I saw some. Uh, I was hoping you'd be on your farm so you can describe the sunrise to me from your farm, because oh, so so beautiful there, man. Even, I mean, the fall just turned. Yeah. You know, and the leaves are on the ground, and they're a little wet now. It's a little cold. Um, but even that, it has its beauty. and You know, it, it, it's just gorgeous there right now. Yeah, I um, I saw some uh, – they sent me, like, an EPK kit, and I looked at some pictures, and I was just, like, flabbergasted. It, it looks gorgeous, man. You look like you found paradise out there. You know um, – I did. It's all <laughs> accidental, and uh, you know, I just uh, I, I just fell into it. I just got led to it somehow, and uh, just kept opening little doors, and I just kept going on an adventure and opening more doors and discovering more things about myself and the world around me. It, it, it was just a great, great venture. Uh, otherwise, I'd be, you know, sitting here in L.A. across the highway from a $5 billion business that uh, decides when they want you or not. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, man, you're – no, this is – what you're doing is the wave of the future, man. It's. Uh, I wish I had the, the resources to do the same thing. Um, so I got a, I, I talked to uh, Judy, and um, that's how uh, I got to you. Um, and she's just, uh, she was just lovely. Did you get a chance to listen to my podcast with her? It was, yes. It was, uh, you did. It was, um, that was so, uh, that song she sang? Oh, my God. Oh. And the uh, heartbreaking. What a. How's she doing? She is, I mean, well, you know, you've talked to her pretty intimately. You know what she is. She is, she is like a, an angel on earth. She has this great spiritual just beauty about her, the lightness and the kindness. And she's just intelligent and witty and taught me about so many things, forgiveness, love. Uh, She's just like, uh, God, I don't know. I can't even put it in words. She's beautiful, beautiful spirit. And I'm grateful. I've known her since I was 11. uh, Wow. Yeah, she's beautiful. I love her so deeply. She's, like I said, she's been the love of my life. I mean, she is the best female role model that I've had in my life. And not only female, but human role model. I mean, mm. she's doing very good. 
She's uh, good. She's uh, she's got uh, dancing feet. She said to me one day because you know <laughs> she went through her chemo and she didn't really go into it on your newscast on your uh, podcast, but I had put her on the RSO protocol. And uh, between the two of them, she tested cancer-free at the end of September. Holy shit. Yeah. Hold on, wait. So this is a, uh, a THC protocol? Yes. Beautiful. And, uh, yeah, and she's, she's um, you know, she's still eating well and caring for herself very well. And, you know, there's... Uh, Beautiful hope in front of uh, her and the family, and and she was chitty chatty on the phone with me the other day. <laughs> she was so cute. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love That's her. Great. I love her. Uh, she, yeah, she's. Um... And you did. You were you were so kind with her, and, and that's what. After I listened, I said, "Sure, I'd be glad to do an interview with you." Oh man, you well, cared for her I very guess... nicely. I I care so much for your DNA, <laughs> anything associated with your name, and um, it's been such a huge uh, influence on my life. So I feel like I'm getting uh, back. How about my life? Big influence on my life too. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. I mean, I mean Jesus. <laughs> John led the way, man. Oh yeah. Oh fuck I mean, yeah. Uh, um, I just I've been I just finished the well I'm in the middle of it and um, because it was kind of a pain in the ass to to get the link to work but I'm 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 right in the middle of the documentary that's coming out uh, um, about your brother on Showtime and um, I feel like it's very much. I may be wrong, but I feel like it's it's it feels very similar to uh, Judy's book, and I feel like I mean I'm I'm, I'm oblivious, but uh, is that what's going on there? They're making it's basically the documentary of her book, or is this a a new thing? Well, I, I think it's a it's a I think this uh, filmmaker is quite quite special. I think he did a really good job. With, um, you did a great freaking job, man. I'm, I'm... Well, you know, you, you know, I did the same thing as you did. Uh, I watched the first hour of it, and then uh, it was late at night, so I went, oh, this is really good, and I went to sleep. And the next yeah. day I watched the last half hour, and it's definitely a third act. Um, you know, the complaints that I've always had are about stories about John is, yeah, you know, editors and producers and the guys with the money behind these projects—they all want the highest Jeopardy drama, and they <laughs> skip a lot of the beauty and the subtleties of the the real character mm. and the drive and the talent and innovation that John, you know, represented. And uh, they just went from drug story to next drug story, and they couldn't wait to get to the footage right. of him coming out of the Chateau Marmont, you know. And yeah. it was like, oh, Judy, they're going to do another one, like A&E. They're going to put all that dramatic music behind it. They're going to skip what we really want to see, what we really know about John. Oh, I think these guys might be all right. He talks good, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, I just want two things. I don't want to see the goddamn body coming out of the hotel again. And I don't want to see any dramatizations of needles, you know, and and dramatic sting music and manipulation that they do. And they didn't do that. Good, man. And it was really great because it actually plays better the way they shot it. You'll see it, the way they edited it. But what I mean, they I did capture, yeah, and you've seen it, is they really did capture uh, 
John. They captured his talent, his brilliance, the struggle with the madness of being present and brilliant. And, you know, the alpha dog, the Illinois alpha dog in him, the, <laughs> it, it just it was beautiful. And then the relationship and the love between him and Judy and the yeah. camaraderie he had with his fellow creators. I mean, it, it was really, as an actor and as a writer, you know, it was wonderful to watch. It's very well done. I have to I say it's the, the best uh, piece on, on John. Oh, well, that's fucking great. That's a good stamp of approval. I, I um, yeah, yeah, believe me, I don't approve anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I love the animation in it, man. I really, I, I, I love the, um, the style of the animation, and I, I feel like, and I love, I love seeing him morph from little kid John to adult John, and how it's like a very thin line, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the Second City days when he was like thin. You know, those guys were hungry, those actors, you know? I know. That's a crazy shot of him, man. He looks like he's 160 pounds. It's, it's, yeah, like I mean, even back turtle. then when John Candy was like that. I mean, <laughs> wow. like, I was even thin like that when I was in Second City. Not that thin, but. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was yeah. crazy to watch the first. Well, they paid you one hundred and thirty-six dollars a week, you know, back then it was a lot of money, I guess. Yeah, but, that is, uh, that's actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, it was. I loved watching what I did of that doc, um, and I loved uh, seeing the early footage. Oh, the animation! The, you know, I got to yeah. tell you something about the animation. Yeah. Uh, and I did this in an interview the other day, so I'm not talking out of school. But um, I love the, the stylization of it, and I love that in the documentary they didn't do any on-camera interviews. It was all voiceover. I love that. And that was Judy's call. She was yeah. always distracted when they cut to somebody talking. It was really a quite nice device. But the animation was, a, you know, was a little off. You know, the restaurant that my dad was in uh, was a steakhouse in the north side of Chicago. It wasn't that little grill. He, my dad started on uh, a grill, yeah. but he eventually moved up into running beautiful steakhouses. Uh, and also they kind of made my dad to be the heavy. And I said, well, I see why they're doing that as a device to kind of have John push off from it. But my dad was an immigrant that came when he was 16 years old, eighth grade education, quiet, heavy accent. Mm. And he didn't, he didn't talk a lot. And we never had, like, you know, father-son discussions, except for about work. You know, Jimmy go in the kitchen and get the plates, go change the tables, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> except when we went horseback riding, then he would talk a little bit. Anyway, he was a very gentle man with a big peasant heart. He wasn't I feel, heavy. I feel like your, um, you know, your brother pulled so much uh so many characters from that concept um of like you like uh you know the uh, you know the cheeseburger 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 but also well i'll the, give you the um, detail on the cheeseburger cheeseburger the like cheeseburger like the cheeseburger Wolverine. place was called the lithium lunch it was in logan square and my dad was partners with my uncle paul yeah my uncle paul was an albanian who wanted to be greek <laughs> And uh, when John was talking in that scene, he was doing Uncle Paul, literally imitating my Uncle Paul. <laughs> and when John was doing the heavy breathing and all the looks, he was doing my dad. So he was doing yeah. kind of a combination. My Uncle Paul was tough. My Uncle Paul was like, come on, come on, get out, get out. You know? My Uncle Paul, John told me a story 
when they worked in the Michael Paul had another restaurant called One Horse Shave. And it was it was a, a better than that diner that they showed in the animation. It was downtown Palatine. Anyway, there was a counter, then there was a cash register, and then there was another kind of uh, doorway into the bar. And there was a phone there. And John was sitting at the counter, and there was uh, someone who worked there, like a busboy, was on the phone. And Uncle Paul came by and goes, get off the phone. The guy goes, wait a minute, wait a minute, I just want to finish this call. Get off the phone, get to work. But I, went, I just want to, you know, I said, get off the phone. The guy goes, fuck you. And my Uncle Paul grabbed him by the back of the pants, the scuff of his neck, and pushed him past John through two double doors out on the street. Yeah. That was my Uncle Paul. <laughs> I mean, that sounds like a, a from, the, from the documentary, uh, the, the horseback riding. I mean, it sounds like such a cowboy thing to do, man. I mean, like... Like, yeah, but that was my old Paul, not my dad. My dad. Yeah, no, 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 but did he also want to be a cowboy? Like you, it said, in the, like your dad wanted to be a cowboy, right? Um, no, Uncle Paul was a pretty smart businessman. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, did he you, was did your dad, smarter than my dad. Is that true about huh? your dad that he wanted to be a? Was that true about your dad that he wanted to be a cowboy? My dad wanted to be an American. You know, that yeah. was in the documentary. That's that's all he wanted to be. You know. Uh, my dad never once, not even once, Dan, did I hear anything, anything from him about other people. Never was he, he said anything bad about anyone. Never any kind of racist comments or judgments on religion. Nothing. He was. A typical guy that came here, America gave me this opportunity. He didn't say this. This is what I'm assessing from him. Oh, no, he did say once. He was a beautiful American soul, and everybody has an opportunity. And he went through life just trying to get his opportunity. Um, and one time I sat with him. Years and years, you know, God, I was shooting Curly Sue, I think. <clears throat> I, don't know, I can't remember what year that was. Anyway, we were in Dicker's restaurant in Chicago. I was buying him his lamb chops. He loved his lamb chops. He came, he was on the set, and he didn't know what's going on. He, he, he didn't understand movie sets. He just sat there like a quiet little old man. And I said, what's the matter, Dad? Nothing. Come on, Dad, what's the matter? What's going on with you right now? Nothing. Dad, you're quiet. You're always quiet, but you're particularly quiet. What's going on? Uh, I just wanted to be an American. That's all. I'm sure you get depressed because you don't feel like you're an American. Uh, I think he felt like he failed, you know? Yeah. And I said to him, I said, Dad, Dad, come on. What are you talking about? You're American. You've got, you started your own business. The mob took it away from you. You were unemployed. You didn't work. You almost lost your house. You have a son that's gay. You have a son that can't keep a marriage together, me. You have a son who died of a drug overdose. And you have a daughter who's um, had a child and the father took off. You're separated from mom. I said, you've hit every statistic of an American. Every single <laughs> heart of the American statistics. You're the most American person I know. <laughs> yeah, do you want... Oh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my God. He was a cute old man. I, I, I adored him. Um, you listened to the Judy podcast. You remember what um, 
uh, I figured out the kind of poetic name for Belushi, like what the the etymology is. Oh, yeah, Minotaur. That was very cool. Yeah, beautiful shape-shifting Shape, Minotaur. Beautiful shape-shifters. I mean, that is, uh, that's John. I mean, that's the shape-shift from character to character and life to life. And, yeah. Beautiful yeah. shape-shifting Minotaur. Right. Minotaur. But, and, and I love what he said to you in the documentary about you got to be like a bull in a bull ring. Yep. Um, yep. I, I, that just hit me. I did. I, you know, he gave me advice about six times, and each one I carried, you know. What, what was the advice besides that? Well, he came and saw me at Second City, which is an improvisational theater, and yeah. you improvise with sure. people. Okay, and there were about eight of us on the stage, on the sh in the show. And he said, I see you work with those three people. And I said, yeah. He goes, what about the other four? I go, yeah, once in a while. He goes, how come you don't work with them? I said, well, <laughs> you know, they're really, they're really kind of weak. I, mean, I kind of like working with the, the guys that, you know, are stronger. Hmm. He goes, your job is to work with those guys, the weaker guys. Your job is to be in those scenes and make those weaker guys stronger. Your job is to make them look good, them look strong, because then the scene looks good, and the scene is successful, and then the show is successful. So that was the moment that I really learned what ensemble work was. And as an actor, I've never gone into a scene about how I'm going to look. I'm mm -hmm. going into the scene of how I can make you look. I am a full-on ensemble support worker. And that was a pivotal point in my, my growth as an actor. And it changed how I worked. That was one. I think that if you, I think it's, well... If he was around today, I feel like he'd be like the Lee Strasberg of improv. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. But that, you know, that's the true ensemble. That's why it was always hard for me to work with stand-up comics because they never trust trust you mm -hmm. to set them up. Yeah. You know, you got to give them the rhythm and give them an energy, and then they would stop work the energy around them and kind of do their own setup. Yeah. Because they didn't really trust that back and forth, that true partnership. And I've had some great partnerships where, you know, I mean, even on According to Jim with Larry Joe Campbell, way funnier than me. And I celebrated that. I would set him up for home runs, you know, and when he'd get a big laugh on stage, during the laugh, you can hear me say to him, you know, uh, crack King Kong. Because I used to call him King Kong because he used to hit home runs, you know. <laughs> and he would smile yeah. at me. And I would give him some of my jokes, you know, because I was like, no, no, you can do this joke better, man. You'll get the laugh. And then all week he would work on trying to get me a joke, you know. And we, it was just. True love and true setting each other up for the success of the scene. And I think John did that in all of his work from Lampoon. But then he had his moments of just brilliance, you know, like Joe Cocker or different characters. But, yeah. I'm born in 1976, all right? So, basically, I'm born for – I'm alive for as long as SNL exists, okay? So, I was too young to see Belushi. Uh, John, um, the, for, I, I was too young. I was watching the fucking Muppet Show while SNL came on much later. Okay, so um, on HBO there would be these movies that would play over and over and over again. Um, and you were the first Belushi that I met, um, and it was this movie called Real Men. You want to talk about caring? Uh, <laughs> okay, you got you and Ritter. 
Okay. Oh my so God, I, I love that guy, man. He was the best. <laughs> I love him too because I'm watching. Oh, we did we did like, that to each other. We covered each cover. other on that one, man. We were true partners in that. He was beautiful. I love that movie um, because I was coming at it from Three's Company. I was like, I, I, I love this fucking. Uh, character, I was like, this. I, I want to grow up to be this guy living with the two girls. This is fucking brilliant. <laughs> and then I, oh yeah. And then I watched him in the movie, and then I found you, and I was like, oh my god, this guy is fucking hilarious. Okay. And just teaching him how, like, making him believe that he's able to shoot people with his fucking finger. For for a kid that was that was so wonderful, and um. You guys worked really well together. Um, he so taught me a lesson. Okay, so, yeah. Oh yeah, he was he was brilliant. What was it? We he taught he said he taught he taught you a lesson. Well, the script "Real Men" was written by a guy who had just written uh, "Golden Child" for Eddie Murphy, so he was hot as hell. Sure. Okay. And so he wrote the his next script was you know bid on pretty well and was real men and he he wanted to direct it and he never directed before but they wanted a script so they let him direct it so it was first time director so first day of rehearsal we sit down from La Siena, not La Siena, Cuenca rehearsal space on the second floor it had a balcony outside balcony <clears throat> and it was really overwritten. There were huge paragraphs of dialogue. It wasn't dialogue. It were like just so many words. Okay. And, and him and I, John and I said, you know, there's a lot of words here. And he goes, oh, no, no, I just wrote that for the stupid studio executives that read things. you got to spell it out for them. No, 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 we're going to cut that down. And I said, we said, okay. Then we went out for a cigarette break. And John goes, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. I said, John, what are you talking about? He goes, this guy doesn't know what the hell he's doing. John, come on. It's his first day. It's his first movie. You know, give the guy a goddamn break. He goes, too many words, Jimmy. There's too many words. He said he's going to cut them. No, he's not going to cut him. He's a writer. He's not going to fucking cut his own words. John, <laughs> give the guy a fucking break. All right, Jimmy. All right. Next day we cut it and come in. We start the rehearse. We go through the lines, and he goes, cut on page three, second paragraph, third sentence. Cut the words, this is the. Page 16, cut the words, <laughs> I, you know, like three or four words every five pages, right? We go out for a cigarette break, right? And I go, this fucking guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, man. <laughs> and Johnny's like, I told you that yesterday, Jimmy. What are you, fucking idiot? I said, I'm a fucking idiot, John. What the fuck are we going to do? There's too many lines in this. And he said, well, there's an old saying, Jimmy, when you're skating on thin ice, skate fast. So if you ever rewatch that movie, you're going to see two actors talking as fast as they possibly can to get all those goddamn words in. Wow. That's hysterical, man. Skating on thin ice, it. skate fast, buddy. Ripped it. We ripped through that movie. <laughs> I love that. Um, uh, he was okay, the so sweetest, loving. Talk about supportive, giving you jokes, trying to, you know, making sure that you look your best. Uh, and I made him look his hear. best. We just had to. I just, I just, I, I've fallen in love many times. John Candy, <laughs> Annie Aykroyd, Ritter, Larry Joe Campbell. I've just had so much fun with, with people. Courtney, everybody. Women, men, I mean, actors, just beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, okay, so um, 
you brought me to Mammoth because of about last night. I um, sexual perversity in Chicago. That's that's I, I I have done the play sexual perversity in Chicago playing Bernie. Um, fucking the more than anything I've ever played. Probably six times I've played that character, man. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, how about that. those rhythms he wrote, man? Wow. You just I have to those, sit yeah. on. You just have to sit on the wave of Mammoth's rhythm, and it does all the work for you. Yeah, I fell in love with Mammoth. And, yeah. Um, I've directed that play. I, I mean, I just I and so <clears throat> you, you know you're fucking Bernie, man, and and to see. That was another movie that fucking played over and over and over and over again on HBO when I was a kid. That was so, a good movie. Yeah, changed man. my the, career. Changed my career. Did <laughs> <laughs> man? How did it? How did it change your career? Tell me. Made me a movie star. Well, shit. That's the one. That's the one. Right. I mean, the play, as you know, is you know sixty minutes long. And yeah. so Denise DeClue and Tim Kazarinski made it into a, a movie that was, you know, two hours, cut down to 150. So they did an unbelievable job of the adaptation of that play. Unbelievable. And I was doing it in Chicago. It was a big hit. I became like a local, you know, star. Theater was packed, and it was a big it was a big hit. And I also yeah. was doing a television show at Paramount with uh, Gary Marshall, and it canceled. But they wanted me to do another one with Michael Keaton called Working Stiffs. Uh. And I said, "Look, I I I, I want to do movies, and I really wouldn't close the deal until they gave me something." So they wanted us so bad that Don Simpson at the time was the president of Paramount. And he flew out to Chicago, saw the play, went out afterwards for a beer. And, you know, he said, we're going to put you in a movie somewhere. We're going to find a spot for you. And I go, what do you think of the show? And he goes, oh, it's really good. You should write a script on that. It'd be a good movie script. But that's about all he said. And then we talked about other stuff. And the producers were like, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? I said, he liked the show. He said, we should make a movie script out of it. These two guys, Jason Brent and Stuart Oaken, went out and raised $110,000. Got Denise and Tim, re, got a script, and they gave it to me. And they said, give it to Don. Give it to Don. And I called Don, and I said, well, I got that script. He goes, send it to me. I sent him a script. I didn't hear anything from him. And about a month later, John calls me. And I go, hey, John, what's going on? And he said, uh, so uh, Don Simpson uh, sent me and Danny this script called Sexual Perversity in Chicago, and they've offered it to us. And I said, John, that's mine. And he goes, yeah, no, I know you're doing the play. And uh, I said, John, you can't do it. That's mine. It's a character I developed on stage through rehearsal, through performance. I said, I can't lift a sword. I can't eat a cheeseburger. I can't do a Marlon Brando impression. I said, I can't do shit. You've eaten up everything. You know, this is mine. Yeah. Leave it the fuck alone. Because, yeah, Jimmy, yeah. That's, you yeah. don't understand Hollywood. They're never going to give it to you. They're oh. heat-seeking missiles. And Danny and I are hot. So they're giving it to us. They'll never give it to you. You live in Chicago. And I said, John, I don't give a fuck. Don't do it. <laughs> they got mad at me. They got mad at me. He said, you don't understand Hollywood. This is the way it works. 
And then the asshole says, Timmy, if Danny and I pass on it, they're going to give it to Billy Murray. Now, wouldn't you rather have someone in your family do it? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I, said, I said, don't do it. He goes, fuck you, you don't understand how it hangs up. Wow. About a month later, they put the script in turnaround. Jason and Stewart bought it back, and Jason peddled it for six years until TriStar said yes with Rob Lowe and Ed Zwick, who's a Chicago guy, the director, and they, they said, we're, we're, it's there. And I said, okay, let's do it. And he goes, well, you got to audition. The director wants Jason Alexander. I went, fine. What? I'll, I'll audition. I'll nail it. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah. So I went in. I just finished Salvador. I just literally flew in from Mexico, got in the airport, in a car to the studio. And I worked with Rob Lowe for 15 minutes in the other room with that opening monologue. And I taught him the rhythm of it. And we went in and we did the monologue. And Zwick said, not only do you have a part, but we're going to find a place for this opening because it wasn't in the original script. Wow. So we shot that opening and he put it over credits. Yeah. So and that became the, the hit, you know. <clears throat> but I think they wow. did give it to Bill Murray and I think John said, ah, leave it for my brother. Leave Good. it for Jimmy. I think they all passed. So yeah, that's the story and that's the start of my career. Do you have, uh, you have like, 10, 15 more minutes? Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, um, you were. I, I okay. I'm trying to figure out the best. You're in Little Shop of Horrors, one of my favorite movies. You pop up in that. You know, I'm going to throw out some movies here. Any kind of stories you can think of as, as I as I throw them out. Cause I'm trying to breeze through this stuff. Red Heat with fucking Schwarzenegger, who I fucking love. Uh, oh, wow. Gang related. Okay, so gang related with fucking Tupac. I'm, I'm just. Oh man, he was cool. Yeah, he was one talented son of a bitch. You know, this guy went to a high school performing arts. He was not like some street thug. I mean, he might have acted that character and he might have lived some of that life, but the thug life. But yeah, he was an actor, man. He was. I think this guy was. Two more movies away from being a big movie star. He was really good. Let me ask you something. What do you prefer, comedy or drama, or or playing music? Well, <laughs> I know that's a wide web there. <laughs> you know, I, I finally figured out, because I get that question a lot, I finally figured out what I really, really love. I finally figured out the bliss. Yeah. And that is performance with live audiences. Mm. Live. Uh, So whether it's drama, comedy, especially music, man, that's where it's at. Um, I'm a magic chaser, bliss, you know. And the yeah. magic, there's more moments of magic in front of live audiences mm. than shooting on a quiet set. Yeah. Um, I mean, even in the court of the gym, Larry and I just hit magic after magic after magic after magic. And I just, I chase that moment. You know, when you're on stage and you get a laugh, during that laugh, 
you're standing there and your body goes into serenity, goes into the <laughs> sense of yeah. self and being so present in the moment that it's hard to describe, but that's the magic. And then when something, when something goes wrong and then it gets corrected somehow and, it, and, and the audience feels like, oh, my God, that was a moment that was just for us, and they're laughing even louder. Yeah. Those, those live moments that, like, oh, we just saved the fucking day. It could have gone bad, but there, but we just saved the day. Right. And now, you know? So my, my point being is magic comes really – the essence of magic comes from relationship. The relationship I had with Ritter or Arnold or or uh, Larry Joe Campbell and Courtney, and the list goes on. The relationship I have with the audience in live performance. So relationship is the way to magic. And in order to really have a deep relationship, you have to be authentic, real, and in the moment, and loving. And John, remember I said earlier, John said, your job is to make them look good, the other actor. He was basically saying, you have to have a relationship with them. Whether they're strong or whether they're weak, you've got to make them look good. And that's the essence of relationship to me. I'm here for you. I'm going to get out of myself and get into you. And whatever magic that triggers you comes back. And then, boom, there's magic. There's a relationship. And then, as a performer, the audience watches that. And they're moved by it. To humor, to drama, to joy. I really hope... uh... I really hope I get a chance to, when I get back into the States, um, I really hope I get a chance to, to visit your farm, man, and check out the spirit of the uh, Chakalema people. <laughs> yeah, man, it's right there. It is right You're, there, man. I have a sweat lodge. Doing, yeah, tell You're, me about that, the spirit, spirit cleansing rituals, man. I got, got, tell me about it. Well... You know, you step into a, a land. You know, we live in boxes and we live in high rises yeah. and our feet are not on the ground. And our society is just slowly moving into our heads. Well, not slowly, it's already there. So to go back on land on a farm and work the soil and be in the land, you become closer to Mother Earth, to real the real world. <clears throat> and this is what this land has taught me. And then this land used to be a Native American land that was totally stolen. And God, what we've done to the Native American. I'm not saying the name right. What's the name? The Tacalma? The, the, I'm not saying it right. Tacoma. I can't. I can't really pronounce it. Gotcha. Uh, I know the men, you know, um, they came to my property and yeah. we walked the property over and over and they stopped at one spot between two oak trees. The river was 75 feet away. On the west and on the east, there's Mount Pitt where you can see a perfect view of a very spiritual mountain. And we were right between the two, right in the center of that property. And they said, this is the spot. And they built me that sweat lodge. All I really wanted was a little hoop house with blankets on it. And they dug into the ground. They built this beautiful thing. I said, I just wanted one of those. He goes, no, those are traveling (laughs) sweat lodges that we would go and hunt. Right. When the Native Americans would go and hunt, they would make these sweat lodges for their spiritual work. This is what they would have in the village, like a little temple, like a little church. And they built this thing for me, and I said, how much? And they said, um, 
we can't charge for spiritual work. I said, what? You guys have been working on this for six weeks? No, wow. we can't charge for that. And I said, well, well, uh, uh, and they said, but you can buy wood from us. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I buy all of my wood from them for the sweat lodge, you know. And it yep. is in the perfect vortex between the mountain spirits and the river spirits and the tree spirits and also the town I live in, the village, or the little municipal, it's called Eagle Point. And there are eagles that fly. One time I came out, I called the eagle spirit, which is a great spirit in the ceremony because the eagle spirit is the one that does the battle. will battle you. Like one time I was in there doing the ceremony and I could visualize and close my eyes in the middle of this heat and I could see, you could have visions. And there was an yeah. eagle sat on my friend's shoulder in my vision, picking at the back of his neck. Crazy. And I watched, and then all of a sudden the eagle flapped his wings and pulled on his beak my friend's nervous system. And I was afraid. And it flew over the river and dropped it into the river. And I'm in the ceremony going, I'm next! I'm next! Come back! <laughs> so, Holy shit. I, come out of, I come out of the sweat lodge and I look up and I see this beautiful eagle flying right over us. And the guy who was helping me with the fire, Dennis, who's from that area I said geez I just saw the eagle inside and I come out and I see the eagle flying over and he goes Jim there's a reason they call this area Eagle Point eagles are all over here <laughs> I said okay <laughs> so then we got eagles we got water we got fire we got Mountains, we got sky, Mother Earth. I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful ceremonies I, I do with my family. The beginning of summer, it sets up the summer for everybody. It's a cleansing and a bringing together of spirits. It's beautiful. You you cool if I come by at some point and, and, and sample the wares and jam with you and fucking get to my Oh, yeah, I got a stage there. You know, did you see Growing Belushi? I didn't. Uh, it's on uh, Discovery. You can get it on demand or on the Discovery Go app. It's three episodes. It was six, but Discovery pushed them together and made three 40-minute episodes opposed to six 30-minute episodes. So we had to cut a lot. I wasn't happy about that, but... It still plays very well, and it is, you know, kind of a reality show with a kind of movie structure, you know, the hero's journey, you know, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey yes. structure about the farm and John and cannabis. It's called Growing Belushi because it's not just about growing cannabis, it's about me growing as a man and a family. And uh, it, I think it's quite, quite nice. And we're negotiating for a second season, which is cool. Yeah, you're welcome to come, and I'll run you through the sweat lodge all four seasons. Fuck yeah. Okay, so this is we came to the last part of our show. I I'm so happy you came on, man. You're so fucking cool. I um so so I, I'm just curious. I have a lot of artists on the show. And they have, they're very sensitive, obviously, as you are to the spirit world. And this is the part of the show called Tales from Beyond the Veil. You've already given us this amazing fucking eagle spirit story. Have you ever seen any other weird shit while on the farm or anywhere else? I have uh, frequently fucking seen ghosts and UFOs and all sorts of shit. So, you know, anything you got, 
as a final fun funky story. Well, first of all, if you ever interviewed Danny, do not ask that question. Okay. <laughs> he will go on and on. By the time well, he's done, you'll feel, you'll feel like there's a ghost sitting next to you, and a, Uf- a UFO is going to take you tonight. <laughs> That's what I fucking want. I mean, I don't want that. I don't want that. Oh, uh, you got to talk to Danny, man. He is so beautiful the way he speaks about all that. Well, if you could. No, I, I haven't had those kind of encounters, but you know, I did no. go to Peru. Yeah. And uh, did about ayahuasca eight. Ayahuasca or something. Yeah, ayahuasca ceremonies, and uh, there's some real beautiful spiritual experiences that can be had. Oh yeah. Yeah, life changing stuff. It's it's quite. Quite remarkable, remarkable medicine. Yeah, I, I did a cup of that in, uh, or a cup of cup and a half of that in um, Jersey in a mansion once. <laughs> that was crazy. And, crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the ba- the the biggest thing I got out of it was that all I wanted to do was this was a gorgeous mansion. All I wanted to do was be outside in the backyard with um, these. Um, you still there? Yeah. Be outside in the backyard with these in the trees. And I remember at the end of the night, I looked up and I just saw the trees swaying there, and it looked like not just individual trees, but like a family, like cousins and brothers and sisters. And well, you know, that's the whole just, point, you know. I mean. The Western civilization has been framed with uh, the religion of uh, the Bible. You know, it starts with Genesis. You know, it starts with Adam and Eve. You know, they were banned from the garden and not to return until they were dust. And it's always been this desire, this drive to get back to the garden and so, I mean, all the religious paintings for centuries, you know, depict this kind of separation from the earth uh, and the fight back to get to the earth. And in, you know, South American culture and many other cultures, they were never affected by that. They were never told that story in Peru. Uh, I mean, the Catholics did come into Mexico and so forth, but they were raised in the garden. They were raised alongside the trees and the birds and the animals and the ground and the river. They have no knowledge of the separation. So they do believe that everything has a spirit. The tree spirits, the eagle spirits, the vining that the ayahuasca comes from, the ground. So they're connected to the earth. So when you do this ayahuasca ceremony, you realize that we have been disconnected from those spirits. And you experienced the energy and the spirit from those trees. And you became part of the family of nature, of the earth. And uh, it's it's quite a beautiful thing to find. I, I believe that everything has a, a kind of energy. I had a tree, a group of trees on my property, right? Right by the river. When I was building a house, I was there by myself, and it was dark, and I was sitting by the river. And I it was before I even built the house, actually. It was just when I got the property. <clears throat> I was sitting by the river, and I got this really scary, 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 scary feeling. I was like, oh, shit. What the fuck? And I turned around and looked up at these five trees that were grouped together. And it scared me. And I turned my head. And I was like, oh, my God. And then I made this decision. And I turned back. And I looked up at the trees. And I stood up. And I said to the trees, I said, I am here. I purchased this land. 
I am not here to harm. I'm not here to hurt you, cut you down. I'm here. You were here before me. I'm here to live among you, with you, care for you. And immediately the energy changed. And I, I know I sound nuts, but there not was not this kind of, this sound of like chatting. And all of a sudden I felt really good and I felt like these trees were chatting at me. We're like, they're going, oh, okay, well, that's great. Let me tell you about the river. You know, the river changes quite a bit. You know, sometimes it goes up, sometimes it goes down. We don't like it really because it comes down to our roots sometimes. But, you know, it's a really beautiful spot. Oh, by the way, over there, you know, that's what it felt like. Like all of a sudden the spirits of those trees included me because I submitted. And now when I walk past those trees, if I don't give them a look and say, like, hey, they're like, hey, hey, where are you going? You ignoring us? <laughs> and I'm like, hi. So now I built a house and I'm standing on the patio looking at the trees from a certain angle. And the yeah. upper part of the tree, believe it or not, the whole canopy is shaped like a heart. And I'm like, oh. Wow. So I don't know if you, you know, submit to that kind of thinking. I do. Uh, it does, there's no harm in it. Anyway, there's some beautiful stuff on that property. It's a spiritual place. It's changed me quite a bit. And I grow cannabis, which is, my God, That's this big. plant is the most, these ladies, female plants, are Beautiful, and I, it's been leading me to where I believe I'm supposed to be. Uh, and then I'm, it's healing. It helps with PTSD, Alzheimer's. It helps with headaches. It helps with back aches. It helps with cancer. It helps with with so many things that it is a pathway to healing. But it also gives you a sense, you know, great taste in food. The sound of music yeah. enhances, sparks creativity, sparks the, the beauty of the touch of your lover's skin. It also makes you feel good, gives you a sense of joy, which also gives you a sense of lightness, which goes into enlightenment, which goes into a higher consciousness. And that higher consciousness gives you a generosity of spirit where you can forgive others, where you can then forgive yourself. If you know that feeling of forgiveness, you can finally forgive yourself. It gives you a sense of community and healing. And like I say in the show, I was a bouncer in Chicago, and I never broke up a fight between two potheads. So, you know, it is a beautiful, it's a beautiful plant, and America is finally waking up to it. You know, and it's it helps heal, soothe. And it's helped soothe my trauma around John. And it's in the show. You've got to see the show. I'm going to watch it, man. I'm going to finish the doc. I'm going to watch the show. And I'm going to say um, fantastic fungi as well. Have you seen this doc? It's, uh, I'm going to what recommend that to you. It's called fantastic fungi. It's like about shrooms, which I think is a magnificent. Um, That's the next uh, wave. Yeah, side partner. I, I just yeah. invested in a company in, in Toronto that oh, is good. You're on it. involved with that movement. And, you know, Oregon, o uh, Oakland, Denver have, uh, you know, passed ordinances and laws that uh, are supporting the effort that mushrooms can help with uh, depression, PTSD, and microdosing, and that's the next. That's the next move in plant medicine for sure, for for sure. It's a beautiful. I mean, Thanks that plant. That plant yeah. actually leaves you with endorphins and serotonin, opposed to taking it from you. Like alcohol rips it from you. You know, yeah. um, heroin and all those. But it just steals it from you and leaves you depleted and depressed. And this plant actually replaces and 
It's a beautiful study, yes. There's a great magazine out called Double Blind that uh, explores all of that science. I will watch watch that tonight. Beauty, man. Fantastic. Let me write that down. What is it called? Fantastic Fungi or Fungi, but I learned it's Fungi. I've been saying Fungi my whole life. But... um, yeah, man, the combination is just a cancer killer. The THC between the CBD, the THC, the psilocybin, it's just like it all works together nicely. Um, yeah. Um, it just uh, seems right. Um, anyway, so, man, you're on top of it. You're fucking, you're fucking cool, man. <laughs> I really like talking to you. Uh, very nice of you to say. And you're cool too, man. I love what you, like I said, I love how you handled my my beautiful angel, Judy. Judy, uh, she's such an angel, man. Um, thank you, man. Thank you for, I'm going to check in with her actually right after this. I, um, uh, thank you for spending your morning with me. And I'm going to seek you out. I'm not, you know, I'm going to, uh, at some point when I'm going to get back to the States, when I'm close to LA, I'm going to fucking... I'm going to give you uh, uh, an email or something, and I'm going to – I'm saying I'm on my way. Hopefully, it'll line up with where you're – when you're there, I don't fucking know, but we'll figure it out, you know. Um, But thank you, man. Thanks for taking the time on the the show this morning. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, man, and uh, thanks for your care and support, and uh, I wish you great luck and great joy, and uh, and, uh, thank you. It's been a lovely conversation. Oh, you're the best, man. Um, all right, I will. I will. Uh, I will be in touch. Have a great rest. You're of welcome day. anytime, man. Thanks. I'll brother. take you down the Rogue River and take you right into the spiritual world that the oh. beautiful Native Americans put on that <laughs> land. Brought that energy. It's it's just a beautiful place to be. It's what I need right now. I think it's what everybody needs, man. Right. All right. Thank you. All right, man. Be good. Bye-bye. Bye.